Hassan and I are here again with uh, the Loop Houston podcast, and today uh, we are interviewing Allison uh, Lamy Sawyer, which I know I mispronounced. <laughs> um, the correct pronunciation is Lamy. Lamy. I will. Okay, Allison Lamy Sawyer, and uh, Allison is the founder of Rebellion Photonics. Uh, uh, Allison's been in Houston for some time now. She did her MBA at Rice and. Uh, we're going to be talking to her about uh, both about rebellion and her background and other things that she does in the community. So, Allison, thank you for, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so, I'm Allison Lamar Sawyer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Rebellion Photonics, which is a local tech company here in Houston. And we specialize in pretty amazing optics technology. We have cameras that we make that see and quantify gas leaks on oil rigs and refineries before they cause explosions. So we're in, we're in the safety bucket. Um, it's pretty revolutionary technology. Before us, all, all refineries and rigs had were old school point detectors or multi-gas detectors, which are pretty similar to those that are found in your home you like the smoke detectors in your home. And they barely work in your kitchen. They really don't work outside in a refinery or on a rig. Um, so to go from old school technology from the 50s to being able to see those leaks and detect them immediately, um, it's a pretty big paradigm shift for oil and gas. So. That's what we do. We work in four continents now. We work with all the majors and some of the big NOCs. We have our cameras installed at refineries, pipelines, gathering stations, onshore rigs, about to be doing offshore rigs, and then also a variety of large chemical plants. Um, so it's been a really interesting seven years going from my co-founder, myself, to two kids, really, 25 and 28 years old, to um, a not large, but getting larger uh, oil and gas service company that operates internationally. And by the way, today's your birthday. And uh, it's my happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> I love birthdays. I know it's kind of childish, but I actually really enjoy birthdays. Are you kidding? That's, yeah, of course. Uh, we will spare uh, the audience and you us singing happy birthday, though. <laughs> um, so you're, you're not from Houston. You're, you're from uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your background. So born in Huntsville, when did you come here? Uh, yeah, born, raised in Alabama, single mom kind of thing. Um, didn't love Alabama. It's kind of a hard place to be a nerdy girl. Especially if you like really love math. <laughs> so, um, it, I mean, it wasn't totally back with Alabama, but I'm at the same time, like, my biology teacher didn't teach evolution and things like wow. that. And this wasn't a religious school either. It's just whatever. Did, did you figure that out when you were in school that you were, there's like this stuff that you weren't being taught? Um, I don't think I would, yeah, I mean, I. The chapter was in the book. It was more uh, of like, you can read it if you want, if you believe in that kind of thing. <laughs> like, so it wasn't until I went to, I was in um, East Africa 
last year just on vacation where I properly learned about human evolution. Because huh. for some reason, I just thought it was, I just assumed it was linear. No, it's actually fascinating. Wow. Where <laughs> should go? What, why um, is that? Yeah, what happened there? Oh, that's the cradle of humanity. That's where oh. you had lots of, one of the oldest parts of humanity, so you have lots of different humanoids, and it's not linear. It's actually a really fascinating part of science, so I recommend it. <laughs> huh. Yeah. That's cool. And so um, you, you grew up in Huntsville, yeah, I grew up in Huntsville, um, got out of Alabama pretty much as soon as possible. Um, and then I did physics, applied physics for undergraduate, and then a master's in nanoscale physics. Um, I was going to get my PhD, but then I just, I knew I also wanted to start a company, and the idea of not starting a company until I was like 32, well, okay, or so I'm 32 today, so just the idea that I'd just be starting a company seemed like madness. After the PhD. Like, after you do the PhD, right. and then you get a job, and then you start a company, or maybe you just start a company, but anyway, I just that just seemed ridiculous to me. So so where did that come from, starting a company? Like, why did you know you wanted to start a company? Oh, I had, this, I had a very naive, which turned out to be wrong, but I had a very naive idea in Alabama. I, like, I knew it didn't fit in in Alabama. People weren't awful. I think Alabama, on the one hand, like Alabama gets too bad a rap, and I don't like it when make, people make fun of Alabama, but I'm from Alabama, so I'm a You can make fun of Alabama. <laughs> you can say it. Yeah. Um, I'm familiar. Yeah. Yeah, that's how that works. You can't make fun of my family. <laughs> but I can <laughs> yeah. constantly. That's how I feel about it. I'm very torn. Um, but no, it was just it was just difficult to be even ever so slightly outside of the tiny box that girls are supposed to be in Alabama. Um, anyway, so I always thought if I could get to Silicon Valley and like the whole technique, because when I was growing up, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were still very much like godlike in America with tech and the tech bubble and all that going on. So I just remember thinking that, that was really cool and like I was totally gonna live in Silicon if I can make it Silicon Valley, then that would be my tribe and it would all be perfect. It turned out not to be the case. Well not that not that specific location, not that geography maybe. No, it wasn't right? that. I mean I could still be in the valley. Um Easily, if I wanted to be. Um, but no, it's sexist as fuck out in the valley. It's not my tribe. Not yet. Got it. So, give it another generation. I think, I think it could have been. But no, it's, there is no city on the hill for me. We just have to build it. <laughs> sure. Right. That's great. So. And, and did, uh, did Rice, you came to Houston... Uh, for rice or um, kind of. So I was living in England at the time. That's where I was getting my master's in nanoscale physics. It's a very interesting lab there for what I wanted to study. Um, and I was doing a lot of work on like atomic force microscopy and what you can do with lab on a chip stuff there, which is still very cool. Um, but none of it's really. You couldn't start a company with it. Um, didn't find that out until I was already knee deep in my research. <laughs> anyway, so I was dating a boy who's now my husband, a British boy. And when I was like, I want to go back to America, get my MBA, 
Uh, and he worked at, he's a PhD geologist, and uh, he got a job at Exxon, and they're in Houston. So I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I swore I would never move back to the South. But it, he's, it turns out Houston's not the South. I actually love Houston. I don't know how it happened, but I'm like total Houstonian now, and I love it, but... Um, I came here kicking and screaming like I actually kicked my suitcase like a little baby. <laughs> no, it turns out like I love it, but it took a while. What do you What do you like most about it? What are your favorite parts? I think it's got all a lot of the best things about the South without some of the worst things. Like I can be standing in line at Kroger and still have like a whole life conversation with the random person in front of me, which I love. Yeah, <laughs> and but I'm not like. Um, But it doesn't have uh, some of them. It has more diversity. Right. Diversity of everything. Diversity of skin colors, diversity of thought, diversity. So that's nice. Yeah. My, my sister and her family just moved from Louisiana from a small town, population 75,000, wow. um, to Houston. And her kids are like, they visited, they went back to their small town in Louisiana. And, uh, they're definitely already Houstonians. Like, <laughs> right. there so, a, uh, a couple of months. So, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can relate to that. Um, and then, uh, what, how long after, what did you do after you moved here? You, you finished the. Uh, I got my MBA. Yeah, that was it. I came to Rice. I, so, you enrolled right away? In, yeah, I applied like two months before class started, which was like bizarre. But, like, they're like, oh, female physicist. That's interesting. We'll take you. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah, so here you go. Yeah, that's the nice thing about being bizarre. Um, so it took me. Um, business school, some of it was interesting. Like, I find accounting more interesting than I ever expected. I never expected myself to go, hmm, accounting. <laughs> but it's like foreign language. Everyone's like, oh, math is hard. I'm like, math is hard. This is not math. This is a foreign language. Right. <laughs> uh, and it's a very interesting foreign language. But... As far as entrepreneurship's concerned, did I need an MBA? No, no, definitely didn't need an MBA to be an entrepreneur. Having said that, I think for me, it was good to have an MBA because Rebellion ended up, you know, we're, we're in the big leagues now, we took on private equity funding, and there's a certain, like, um, cachet to having a membership, MBA membership, the club. Um, so the old white man in the room is like, oh, you have an MBA. All right. Okay. I think I can trust you. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, sure. Thanks. So there is something to having that, just like PhDs, like that's a membership. Right. That I'm continuously reminded here that I do not have. I'm one of the few non-PhDs in Rebellion, which is sad. Did, were you drawn at all to like Rice's nanotechnology stuff? Was that? Has that uh, I mean, I, I still really enjoy nanotech. I think it's really interesting to be where engineering and physics and chemistry meet. It's a fascinating field. But I had already decided that you're probably not going to commercialize any of that for a while. It's not that none of it's commercial, like commercializable. No, it's somewhere. But it's mostly material science and stuff. And just materials companies, I mean, that's a rough game. Like, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. And then you also get some, like, med device and 
um, medical materials things, but that's even worse. Worse in my opinion. Like every entrepreneur has got their own like type of business that matches them and their personality. Like some entrepreneurs are meant to have like mom and pop, some are meant to have service companies where they build an hour rate. Um, some are meant to do that 20-year medical device, doing it for a long time kind of thing. Not me. I could not handle that. Rebellion is Photonics is seven years old, and I'm already like, oh, my God, I've been doing this forever. <laughs> so, no, I, my co-founder and I are much more into, well, we're going to do this. Let's do something like with a really large market size. So, so I heard that you worked at HTC. Intern. Intern. Unpaid. <laughs> Unpaid internship. Very good. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was, uh, was that while you were at Rice? While yes. you were in yeah. business school there? I I, they work. almost threatened to throw me out because you're not allowed to intern your first year. Yeah. And the entrepreneurship, the head of the program oh, was oh, like... Oh, Rice almost threatened to throw yeah. me out. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. Oh, no. HTC she, she loved me. They called me the super intern. <laughs> um, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> why, did you, why did you end up... How did you end up as an intern there? Like, um, I was bored. Did you seek it out? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just, I'm, it's fine to take one or two entrepreneurship classes, learn some lingo, whatever. No, it can be good to expand your vocabulary, and that's probably an efficient way to do it. Um, you you know whole, that you teach us entrepreneurship. I know. Just <laughs> one class, just one class. But, um, and I think it's, it's especially nice, too, for undergraduates to kind of be opened up to the world, especially for students who weren't growing up thinking entrepreneurship was a possibility. So definitely for our taste. But uh, at the MBA level, uh, it's questionable how helpful that is. So I went, I, I'm just much more into street smarts. So yeah. I just went and made my own class to see Sweet. what, yeah. And what, did you, what did you do there? What was the... Oh, any, any, co any cool stories also from when so you So basically, a lot of these incubators will have just people coming off the street. I mean, some off the street, yes, but like, like scientists who like, I have an idea for a company, uh, but I need help with a business plan, which I don't think they understand how much they're asking there, but uh, just helping them put their thoughts together, and then a few people, it was more specific, it was, I want to write this large grant, uh, can you help me with the commercialization plan? And there aren't a lot of technical people who can write. I'm, I'm fine at it, so um, that's really something I had to offer. And that's actually how I met my co-founder. So he came in, he was a grad student at Rice, uh, 28 years old, and he was applying for a grant um, for an idea he had. It wasn't our technology, but it was like a precursor to our technology. It was when he was just beginning to think about this space. Um, and, that, and that's how I met him. I wrote a little uh, section for the grant that we eventually did get, by the way. So that was fun. Wow. Yeah, that was a million bucks. So you met your co-founder work working uh, yeah, he came. Yeah, he, intern at the HTC. he That's asked for help at Rice, and huh. Rice was like, "You're stupid." He's not stupid. He was right that you could do that with optics. Um, so they sent him over to HTC. 
he came in. This is he's not like us anymore, but he came in like full physics. That's how I describe it. Like no, I get it. It's actually like it's really quite sweet of him. He assumes people will understand what he's talking about. So he walked in the door, <laughs> explaining snapshot hyperspectral imaging for biomedical applications, and they were like. Okay, is that physics? He goes, yeah, applied physics. They're like, great, we've got an intern for you. So he literally walked next to me. I'm like, hello, hello. He showed me his paper. It was pretty interesting. Actually, it was really interesting. It was top 10 papers in bio-optics in 2010. So it's kind of a big deal in this field. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, sure, I'll help you write it. And then the... Um, I emailed him that part, and he just slipped into the grant, no big deal. Um, and then I asked to meet him again, just at Valhalla, just the student bar, because I'm still a rice MBA. I'm in my the grad student bar. Yeah, the grad student bar, right? Um, so uh, yeah, I guess this is first semester, second year. <laughs> I asked to meet him at Valhalla. We met up, and I was like, so yay for grants. Why don't we do? I think this could be really big, like really big. Hmm. Why don't we do something bigger? And then I kind of, I said, well, this is what my dream would be for the technology and for a company. And you tell me if that dream sounds interesting to you. And so I talked for maybe like 20 minutes, like not super long. And he goes, <laughs> he like thought about it for a second. And he was like, yeah, that sounds great. And we shook hands and like that was it. It's amazing. So you, I you think were... that's normal, like, I talked to other co-founders who were uh, been together for a long time. It's, it's usually pretty natural. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, and you guys worked together at that point in getting the process of like writing the the grant and. Uh, we probably spent forty five minutes in each other's company. Oh seriously? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. This is the second time we met in person. But but it was a, lo- a while after you had met the first time and after he had gotten the grant. For like a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. It was during uh, midterms. That's too. awesome. I, I mean, in companies that I've invested in, I see founders that have worked together a lot in the past. They've maybe been co-workers at another company or, you know, cut their teeth doing something together. I, think, that's, for, that's, I think for us, because... From the beginning, and I just, whenever I see founders not getting along, which is very normal, but we don't overlap at all. I think when you see people with really similar backgrounds, and yes, we're both physicists, but we have extremely different roles at Rebellion. Hmm. CEO and CTO. I see a lot of companies who do CEO and CTO, same person, and I just don't see that working a lot. I mean, I can name like maybe one time I've seen that work well. And it was a really tech company that didn't need a CEO per se, hmm. like just an active board. So to talk about Rebellion Photonics, um, you, you gave a little background at the beginning. I was reading over some background. It, do I understand it correctly that it's like hyperspectral imaging technology is at the core of like what you guys do? That's yeah. like the magic? Uh, if it is, could you explain that? Like what, is, what exactly is it? Um, sure, so spectrometry. Um, is the field within optics of identifying chemicals uh, from a camera. Hmm. Um, So we're all used to cameras that take pictures, so that's going to tell you regular color. Um, You're used to probably infrared cameras, which tell you a temperature. 
And then there are spectral cameras, which actually tell you not a color or a temperature, but actually tell you what chemical you're looking at. And we didn't invent that field. That field's been around since about the 1980s. And you will have seen it all the time, you just probably don't know it, but all the photos you see from space, all the nebulas and supernovas, those are spectral images. Um, galaxies aren't really pink and yellow and blue. Those are different chemicals, so they'll make the hydrogen pink, mm. and they'll make, you know, carbon green. Well, probably not a lot of carbon, but you get nitrogen, sure. it'll be blue. Um, so astronomy has been using spectral imaging for a very long time. Why wasn't it used uh, just day to day in the world world is because astronomy can take two hours to take a single picture. It ain't moving from that far away. Um, so there was the ability to take a single picture, it, it would stay still, like space will from afar, um, but there was never the ability to do video. Uh, and you need, my co-founder started thinking about this because he was in the, he's just a straight up physicist, but he was getting all his funding for cancer research because that's where the money is in America. So he's... For spectral imaging or in general? In general, frankly. Yeah. But, sure. um, so a lot of like, engineers have to kind of go that route, which is just here, neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. If you're doing hard, hard science, you can get funding, but a lot of on the application side, it, can be difficult. Oh, cancer. Okay. Cancer. You might get lucky and do DOD stuff, but not really. Hmm. Uh, anyway, so with cancer research, they can take, they do a lot of imaging with green fluorescent proteins, yellow fluorescent proteins, and like just tagging proteins to look at how cancer interacts with medicine and stuff. Hmm. But they couldn't do a video. Right. So video would actually be very helpful. So that's what his idea was. Let's see if we can do a video. The idea isn't new, it's just no one was able to do it before, even though they tried. Because if you look at, um, if you lifted the hood on our cameras and compared them to other type of spectral imaging cameras, there's be like the combustion engine versus the electric engine. There's very little, it's a completely different way of doing it. And so that our hardware is very unique in this ability to do video. And you need to do video if you're detecting a gas leak. <laughs> yeah, right. and gases move very, very, very quickly. So if you're going to yeah. take even 10 seconds to take a photo, that's not good enough. That yeah. gas dissipated. What did I see? Like uh, milliseconds uh, is the time uh, yeah, window. We'll, we'll alarm in milliseconds. We'll take a hundred frames per second. So up to. So are you tied into the control systems of those plants? So it's sure. automatically shut off? We'll be in whatever system. Refineries and rigs, they all act differently. So we have different IT systems for um, the different user profiles. But for example, at a refinery, which is downstream is one of my biggest customers, yeah, we'll be in mission control. And then we'll also connect right with their, they call them DCS systems, that if you get a certain amount, it'll just automatically shut down the plant. We did find, you know, we started out as a hardware company, because that's my co-founder and my background, we're hardware geeks. But we've really, over the past five years even, just shifted to much more of an IT company. So we'll install a camera and then we'll charge an annual IT fee. And you get the basic, don't let the site explode is included in 
all systems. (laughs) Whether you like it or not, basically, we're going to tell you if your site's about to explode. Whether you like it or not, (laughs) people who don't want to know when their plan is about to explode. Um, Yes, absolutely, yes. It's really strange, especially in America. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you mean that they they're not they're not equipped to handle it or something. But I mean, obviously, everyone would like to know before their plan blows up. It's really interesting psychology. So, if we're really getting into the weeds of now, but if you want to know, like basically in the '90s and even a little bit in the '80s, there was a big push in oil and gas to um, make plants safer because the death rate was just really inexcusable. It's still inexcusable in my opinion, but really inexcusable in the 80s. Um, so process safety, holding on the handrails, having rule books, having safety manuals, and we just basic process safety came into place, and that really did bring the death rate and explosion rate down. But it's it left the industries with some weird quirks um, and some uh, weird organizational behavior. So. You don't want to detect things because then if you detect things, then you'll get dinged and half your pay is based on your bonus. Half your pay, half your take on some of your bonus and your bonus is predominantly safety and permitting issues. Hmm. So if you're not detecting, then you can't get dinged. I understand. Yeah. And that is a really weird incentive phenomenon, Um, you know. It was just written without new technology in mind. Sure. Yeah. But um, especially the, the larger companies, you would think of the small mom and pops would be quicker to change, but actually sometimes it's the majors, not all the majors. They all have their different personality, but um, I've definitely been impressed with some of them, but it had to come from on up high. Like we, other service company, we go, we talk to a much higher level uh, of our, like, Positions we actually talk to the C-suites of our customers, which is crazy for just a little gas detection vendor company. Um, but that's how big a paradigm shift it is, and it's also how big a part of their business. Because you're looking right now, there's it's not being talked about a lot, but this is a really exciting time for tech companies in oil and gas, especially small ones, because the industry, especially onshore domestic. It's like, well, this is the price of oil. This is the tax we have to pay. Can't change that. What can I change? And it's the operational, the OPEX. So they're all desperately trying to automate. Mm. And that's tech. Sure. That is, that's us. That's tech. That's our bubble. So it's a very exciting time for this space. Um, and you're seeing the C-suites get involved, that's which awesome. is really kind of bizarre. Yeah. How big are you guys? How many people at the company you mentioned uh, that... You, you, you said you're one of the few non-PhDs at the company. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> or something. No, or something. Yeah, I'm so, a tech team. I'm the, what so what's the team made up of, and, and uh, how many customers do you have, and, you know? Um, I think that's just true. We work in four countries. We have dozens of customers. It just okay. depends on the sites. Um, most of our big business does come from the majors. So we're just now getting into smaller, like mom and pop chemical companies and uh, things, and some of the independents. Um, so that's been really interesting. And then we're also starting to work with the big NOCs, the big national oil companies uh, internationally. And so Petrobras. 
Yeah, well, they're a mess right now, so not them, but yeah. They're what? They're a mess right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, Asia, Asia is one of my fastest growing, because mm. that's where you're seeing not a ton of plants are being built in America, some, or some uh, extensions, but really mega facilities are being um, made in Asia, which is very interesting. One place we're still not in is Africa, but... Give it time. Matter of time, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. Chemicals, chemical plants, that's not somewhere. So, our cameras see all hydrocarbons, so your methane, your propanes, but we also see a huge variety of toxic chemicals, and that's where we get involved with the chemical plants. Hmm. So, and I get a little discount if you are <laughs> uh, upwind of Houston because. <laughs> We see some crazy stuff around here. So you get a little air quality discount, let's say, if you're in the neighborhood. Is this a technology that would ever find its way to consumers? Um, I spend some time in India every year, and Delhi has this incredibly bad pollution problem. Uh, it's especially been bad in the last six months. You know, kids getting, uh, developing early asthma, you know, left and right. I mean, it's a regular, it's a daily pressing concern for, for everyone in, in India. Is this something that, you know, this technology, uh, could, it, could it be used for that? I don't see why. It doesn't seem like a market we're interested in, consumer goods. Okay. Yeah. But, but, but is, the, is it feasible for the technology to solve some of those problems in some, a different form factor, a different company, or is, is the technology fundamentally, say, too expensive for... I just don't understand the value proposition for a consumer. Um, but just general air quality, yes, although we don't market ourselves as an air quality company. And, and that's just kind of the brutal truth of this industry. Like they will put it in to lower catastrophic risk and to lower operational expense. Air quality is not part of this, and especially with the new. Trump administration, there's not going to be any enforcement uh, over the next four years. They can't, it's too complicated to get rid of the rules, but there would be a zero enforcement, so it's not a motivating factor. And even if it was, let's say it was a motivating factor, really they just look at, we call that LDAR, leak detection repair, mm -hmm. we don't call it air quality. <laughs> they just see that as a cost center. So sure. it's more of it's one of those things where you have to put cheese on the broccoli <laughs> to make kids eat it. So yeah. it's just going to be... I understand. Yeah. I will say this. like When we install at a site, not all, they're all so different. Every site's so different, I guess. But an average site, let's say, they'll be used to maybe a dozen high alarms in a week. Mm. Yeah, high alarm being around 2,000 parts per million of uh, hydrocarbons or methane, let's say. Um, it wouldn't be unusual for us to install just one camera and see a thousand high alarms in that first week. So two orders of magnitude more detected. Two no. orders of magnitude. So um, it's essentially like we're turning the lights on and it dramatically changes how operations are done above ground in this industry. And it's going to take a while for them to work that out. So 
So a lot of companies, a lot, a lot of companies have zero leak policy. Right. That's not possible. Quotation marks, and I think they knew policy. it already. Sure. But to have there's just humans are such a visual animals. Like when we see it, it really is different. Now on the same site like that, it's, it's also not unusual for our customers to bring the leak rate down by ninety percent within a quarter with no capital expenditures and without hiring any extra maintenance crew. It's just having better information. <laughs> yeah, a lot of low-hanging fruit. But in terms of, yeah. Change out your O-rings. That seems to be what about thief hatches. I mean, really bread and butter. Really bread and butter stuff, like the vast majority. Vast, vast. And that's good news. That makes me very hopeful. But, um, yeah, it's a big shift. <laughs> so I, uh, I want to ask you more about Rebellion Photonics, but I also want to talk about your community involvement. Um, I, I know you started something called uh, She Hacks HTX, which I haven't been involved in, but I, I've heard a little bit about. I've heard good things about it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and your involvement and what it, what the organization does? Oh, sure. So, um, you know, I'm a w woman who's got a hardware oil and gas tech company that's raised private equity money. Like all three of those would make me a unicorn, but being one of them is like really, really lovely. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I would like other ladies to be doing this because uh, it's a very interesting life. Um, so I'm trying to get more women involved in tech entrepreneurship because we have so many great female engineers specifically in Houston. So I um, joined together with some people to create a woman's startup weekend for women who have an idea for a company. That's it. Like not pre-revenue, pre-pre-revenue, pre-like everything. Because that's when, when my co-founder and I were starting the company. We were just two students. We still had six months before we finished our degrees. And that six months, that first six months when we're still in school and we're just like, we're going to do this. We're going to start a company. People can be vicious. They can call you and just say crazy things. What are you thinking? My entrepreneurship professor at Rice straight up told me, like, you are not good enough to do this. If you do do this, you need to get a real CEO. Wow. And this is my entrepreneurship professor. Hmm. Verbatim quote, you need to get a real CEO. And so that time, especially for women and minorities, is incredibly isolating, and it was a miracle we survived that first time. Just a miracle. Um, and I don't, it's 2016, and we just doesn't need to be like that anymore. So I'm doing everything I can to make a safe space for people, women, to go, I think I'm going to do this. And sometimes it's enough just to have someone else that they like or respect go, yeah, you should totally do that. It sounds so nothing. It sounds trivial. But I, I mean, I had a, um, a mentor who was at HTC, actually, who was the guy I was entering for. And he was the first person I said out loud, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I've been thinking about it for years, but it actually took me years to say the words out loud. And what would have happened if this, you know... If the first thing I heard was not him saying you should absolutely do it, but the, my professor saying you can be part of it, but you need, you know, why don't you be VP of marketing or something? 
I got that once from a different different um, business school person. So it's just really there's just not enough people in women's lives encouraging them to dream big. And so if we can be one um, if we can just be one cheerleader and one resource, then I'm ecstatic about that. Um, and I, so she hexes, we Silicon, it was sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank, which is awesome. Um, and we had a weekend where they came in and we matched them with five other women who helped them in a like 72 hour period, put together a business plan and also a website. And for some, even a prototype uh, so we had coders who gave their time for free and like put mm. together a prototype of their device, mm. and it was unbelievable. You I, had I, it here or yeah, actually, in your offices? Oh or? yeah, they still have some of their stuff up. You see the shehex. Oh yeah. Oh. Well. Here, here in your office, and and uh, I think Ellie Grid, who I've seen, has done a Kickstarter campaign. Were they involved in? Were they were they the winners? I think I that's when I, when I actually first. Heard. Uh, they did win this year, and they since. After the SheHex, I did a Kickstarter campaign that's still live. I think it's an Indiegogo campaign. Right. So oh, Indiegogo. That's yeah. right. So there are, it's, I think yeah. it's currently available on Indiegogo. Everyone go, go uh, contribute so, to the Ellie Grid uh, yes. Indiegogo campaign. And then, but honestly, I mean, we, it was really pretty amazing. Um, one of them is applying to YC Combinator, and I would probably get in. But it, it's just really like, whoa. And when I was first talking um, to people to get a sponsor, Silicon Valley Bank agreed immediately. They were like, we love this, this is us, this perfectly encapsulates what we want to do. And this, but like some other people we talked to to get sponsorship were like, it sounds nice, but you're never gonna find 60 women in Houston who want to do this. Because it was eight founders and then they have teams of, of five. They're like, you're just never gonna find that many women. I'm like, this is America's third largest city. Right. Don't even, like, yes, they are here. And so we ended up having to turn people away. I wanted to keep it limited to 18. Next year we're going to do um, 10 probably. Uh, yeah, just like that idea of what really. Yeah, <laughs> give sure. Give me a break. They're there. That's awesome. And this yeah. is the first time you guys have held. This is the first time, and I'm happy to say Silicon Valley Bank loved it, so we're doing it again next year in October. Uh, we might change the name slightly, but yeah. Outstanding. Yeah, and I'll let you know. That's great. Are there, are there, other, are there um, some entrepreneurs that you're excited about in Houston that you've uh, mentored or, or worked with? Yeah, there's tons. So um, a few that you might want to, you know, tell us about? Yeah, so there's, oh, there's so many I love. Uh, Kathleen Purley is an up-and-coming uh, web design company and they're one of the fastest growing web design companies within the hospital website phase because a lot of the hospitals and she's only like she's a baby she's 26 and she's got this like one of the fastest growing companies in town wow I mean Kathleen we, Pearlie is her name the company no her company's called Decode Digital Decode Digital okay and they're like she's like 12 basically and she's <laughs> and uh, she, she like she's very impressive because I'm like she started her company when I was god I was still in the lab and she's just one of those people who doesn't think she's impressive yet and I'm like you are impressive <laughs> and then there's so that's you don't see a lot in the b2b uh 
kind of large scale website design associate. That's very rare to be a young female in that field. Hmm. And then there's awesome. Rust Patrol. So this is a chemical company. Oh, yeah. And that's Lauren Miller. She's also an 80. She's like 28. Oh, she's hilarious. She's like this big Texas hair and attitude, and I adore her. She's in chemicals. So it's rare to find women in physics. To find women in chemicals is, I, I know one other. <clears throat> like ever. <laughs> yes. So, um, it's called Rust Patrol. Rust Patrol. Yeah. And they have actually, a molecule, right? Like, uh, oh, that's a, it's, a, it's basically like, um, what's that? A, uh, what's WD 40, but like way better. And it was actually invented at Rice. So they're in at Jim um, Tor's lab, okay. and they're licensing it from Jim Tor. They mm -hmm. have the exclusive license. They've had that for years, and we'll have it for a while. Um, and it's amazing. They do oil and gas, and it's also available on Amazon, which is really neat. And so, uh, yeah, and uh, there's so I can use on. it at home. Oh yeah, we. Well, I have my bottles. Like if somebody, somebody makes something in Houston, it's not like you know oh, it's a million dollars spectrum oh, imaging camera. <laughs> I'm on fire. You know? Oh, amazing. Well, I mean, she's just, when she pitches, it's really something to behold. Uh, I've learned a lot about corrosion, <laughs> having known her. Awesome. It was the biggest threat facing the Navy. She'll be proud of me. And uh, I think it's something like... Corrosion was the biggest threat facing the Navy. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. And about 2% of U.S. GDP is wasted on corrosion. Hmm. We really take a moment oh. to think about that. But anyone who has hardware of any kind, so... All oil and gas and oil and gas service companies, by the way, everyone in town. Mm -hmm. Corrosion is a thing. It is absolutely a thing. We do offshore safety now, mm -hmm. and even we have to think about corrosion. So sure. So, Lauren Miller, shout out. You owe me a beer, <laughs> <laughs> and she will too. <laughs> Any others? Uh... Oh, I have tons. There's Sam Holm, who's got a very talented. They're all. Here's the problem with female entrepreneurs. We suck at self-promoting. Well, not me anymore. But <laughs> all self-promoting, we suck at it. So you probably haven't heard any of them. But like Sid Holmes has one of the. Uh, she's a young woman with one of the top cybersecurity companies. Sid Holmes. Siv, S -I -V. Siv. She's Norwegian. Siv. Name. Oh, and uh, she's Sig one of the. Sigurnok. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you had, look at you all in the loop. And they're like one of the preeminent. This is this is Luke Cyber Houston. Very impressive. But like, oh, she's amazing. It's the cybersecurity. Hmm. Um, she's, she's a hacker, hmm. but she switched to, to the light to the, what's the opposite of the dark side? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And so she's Good a white hat. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she'll keep rigs. Well, her company keeps rigs from being hacked, and that is an actual, real, and present danger. Uh, that a lot of the oil and gas industry is facing. She's also really funny because when the conferences she goes to, they don't take cell phones or anything. They pay for everything in cash. She like definitely. Her, her stories are baller, and I adore totally. her. So anyway, yeah, like DefCon in Las Vegas is, oh, yeah. like, is like that. Okay, right. She, she goes to that. Uh, I love her stories. There's there's tons of stuff um, happening. It's just the vast majority of the women I know are just. Which I disagree with. I love and adore them, but I, I really want us to do a better job as women of promoting because it's just so much easier to dream about being and doing 
entrepreneurship if you see other people who look like you. Totally. I can't yeah. explain the logic to it. Just empirical evidence suggests that it's just easier to picture. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I, I completely get it. Um, you know. Well, thank I, you for giving me the opportunity. If it's oh yeah. Hours, well, I you just you it. gave us a list of other people who <laughs> might interview uh, for on our on our podcast oh, because one of one of our goals is to to interview folks whose stories haven't been told and uh, and. You know, I, I don't know that everyone knows the Rebellion Photonic story, right? I mean, uh, so we're, that's that's cool. I think also Houston has a problem in uh, promotion of small, innovative yeah. companies. I think that I there's agree. a lot of there's a lot of like in Houston of the left hand doesn't know what the right hand right. is doing, totally. right? And so I mean, you know. I think Twitter is an amazing tool. Um, I wish Houston Twitter was stronger than it is, but um, you know, I consider myself a connector, and I like to, you know, know who these people are because I've got this internal database and connect them together when it makes sense. Um, so, so yeah, this is uh, so. I appreciate your sharing those backgrounds of those companies and those entrepreneurs. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, All right. Yeah, I think well, we're in good shape. Time. Yeah. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thank That's you. great.